Well, hello, and welcome to episode 114 of Motherhood in Hollywood, a podcast that blends beautifully the worlds of entertainment and parenting. My guest this week is Jenny June. She is a certified child and family sleep consultant, and we're going to dive deep into the world of getting our kids to go to sleep. Here we go. Come on, Mama. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hello, and welcome back to Motherhood in Hollywood. How are you? How's your week? What a crazy week it's been, you guys, with all of the flooding going on down in Texas. Um, Right now, where I live, there is a massive brush fire uh, that's kind of raging through the mountains in the Burbank, Glendale, California area. It's just uh, a crazy time in our in our world right now. So I want to take a second, send lots of love to everybody in Texas. And if there's anything you guys can do to help to send, um, if you're listening to this, if you haven't sent anything yet to help out any donations, any diapers, I was listening to NPR and they were saying a lot of kids in the shelter there, shelters, excuse me, there are in need of like toys and, you know, books and, and little, you know, clothes and socks and underwear and things like that, that they had to leave behind to uh, escape the floodwaters. So if you have a moment, if you haven't donated anything yet, or you've been thinking about it, take a second, look around your house, see if you have some toys that maybe your kids aren't using anymore. If you have any clothes that they've grown out of, you know, little things like that and um, find a donation center that you can send it to down in Texas. I know that there's probably a lot of little kids there that would really appreciate that. So, whoa, what a week. Um, that being said, I, uh, I want to let you guys know what I did this week. This past week was so much fun. I got to go onto the set of home and family on the Hallmark channel. And I don't know if you'd watch it or not, but, uh, Debbie Matinopoulos, Mark Steinis, Matt Eisman, they're just a few of the hosts. I think they kind of rotate, uh, hosts every now and then they were on the show. It was actually uh, Debbie Matinopoulos and Ali Fedotowski that was there hosting it. I was there to interview Nicole Nordman. Nordeman. She is a Christian gospel singer, very well known, very popular, who has written a book based off of a song she wrote that went viral on the internet. And um, of course, viral on the internet. I don't know where else it would go viral in your body. Um, (laughs) Anyway, sorry, in a silly mood. Um, But anyway, I had such a great time interviewing her, such a great time on the set. And um, really looking forward to sharing this with you guys. If you go to my YouTube channel, the story is up there now where she talks about the importance of parents getting unplugged a little bit and slowing down to, you know, it was interesting to talk to her because it's like, we all get caught up in the day-to-day hustle of parenthood, you know, getting our kids ready for school, picking them up from school, we're rushing to work. We are constantly, it seems like, go, go, go because life demands it. You know, we have to earn a living. We have to keep up with our routines and that sort of thing. But there are little things we can do to slow down and take time to really enjoy our kids while they're young, because you can't ever go back in time. You know, we can't ever recapture this moment. When I stop to think about how 
in the blink of an eye, my little baby that I was breastfeeding at all hours of the day and night and held in my arms forever and ever is now this, you know, four-year-old kid with opinions and attitude and giggles for days. It just makes my heart kind of, you know, um, skip a beat because I think, where do this, where do these four years go? So, um, I'm really inspired to make an effort to slow down and myself as much as I can with my 900 jobs and, um, really just enjoy her more and enjoy our time together more. So (laughs) I'm not going to cry. I swear I'm not going to (laughs) cry. Anyway, you should check out Nicole's book, uh, slow down. I think you'll really enjoy it. And, uh, oh, I also, um, going to tell you guys now I'm starting a little bit of a new, a new element to the show. I'm going to start adding information about events that are happening, events that are happening either in the LA area, which is obviously very prominently where, you know, where I'm at and most of my listeners are. But if you've got events that are happening, I know I have a lot of listeners in Canada and Australia, uh, also in England. Hello to everybody all around the world who's listening to Motherhood in Hollywood, as well as the United States. If you've got events in your area that you'd like me to help get the word out, I would love to help you do that. Just a quick mention on my podcast, super easy, super free. Email me events at motherhoodinhollywood.com. I'm more than happy to help uh, spread the word and give a little mention uh, about your event. I'm going to do that. Yeah. The first event I want to talk about is the LA Baby Show. It is the uh, LA Baby Show, November 4th and 5th. It's at the Magic Box at the Reef in downtown LA. Tickets are 30 bucks a family. This is a big event full of informative, family-friendly um, uh, products and companies and businesses. There's also going to be panels, people speaking to uh, help parents learn about um, family bonding and, you know, that sort of thing. So what, what else does it say it has? Um, pff, I'm doing a real bang up job on the first events. <laughs> Nailing it. Um, there'll be speakers, giveaways, product demos, parent me classes, and a stroller test track. Woohoo. Uh, so you can get those tickets on Eventbrite. And I'm also going to try to find, maybe get a discount code for you guys. If you'd like to go to something like that. Also want to talk about the 22nd annual Redondo beach lobster festival, September 22nd through the 24th. Oh my gosh. Lobster by the sea. Sign me up. Uh, tickets are available at lobsterfestival.com. So you guys check that out. All right. So you guys, my guest today is sleep expert, Jenny June. Now, if there is one question parents have the most, it is about how can I get my kid to sleep better? And I don't mean just infants. I mean, child, because, Every, everything I've read is so focused on like baby sleep, baby sleep, baby sleep, which is super important. But then what happens when they get to like about two and three years old? Like, what do you do then? What if their sleep patterns are changing? What if your sleep patterns are changing? There's so many questions involved around getting a good night's sleep. And it's because, hello, we're all freaking tired. We're tired and we're exhausted. And I feel like you know, being exhausted, then you make bad decisions and you make your choices are not as clear. And then your kids are cranky and they don't make good choices. And so sleep is such an integral part of our lives. And it's super important to learn as much as we can about it. So that's why I invited Jenny on the show today. And I think you guys are really going to love what she has to say. So here's my interview with Jenny June. So 
as I said, you guys, I put the call out that I have a sleep specialist coming on my podcast today and literally my phone is blowing up. <laughs> Jenny June, you're so popular and you didn't even know, or maybe you did. <laughs> no, I didn't know that I was, you know, at least, you know, blowing up your phone. That's, right? that's my phone, my <laughs> Facebook, my problem. Twitter. Yeah. Um, you're a certified family sleep specialist. Did I yes, get that right? Child and family sleep child specialist, family, yeah. sleep consultant. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me just a little bit about your background. I know I interviewed you for my website last year, and I'm so thrilled to have you here on my podcast today. Thank you for having me. Um, Tell me a little bit about your background and what makes you a certified sleep counselor. Well, it started about 23 years ago when I, you know, gave birth to my first um, of my four children, and I had four back-to-back, you know, from, you know, like within six years, I had bust out four kids, and I was in my 20s, you know, newly married and and all of that, and, uh, you know, their father wasn't... uh, you know, home much. So, you know, it was just me and I had to manage, you know, the, the incredible, you know, sleep deprivation that came with being the only one taking care of four kids. But, that makes you know. me tired just hearing you talk <laughs> exactly. about it. I'm like, okay. So I was just, you know, I was just desperate to, you know, to learn what to do and to do the right thing. And so there wasn't much research out yet on sleep, but I dug into whatever I can get my hands on and just kind of became, you know, um, more aware of the, the science of sleep and, um, really helped my kids. You know, they were kind of my Guinea pigs at the same time. You know, I kind of, uh, you know, uh, experimented with some of them, but, you know, I found that I found, uh, you know, just kind of more, uh, uh, success by just looking at the sleep science, the behavioral sleep training methods are important, but they're secondary. You have to really know about, you know, the science and and sleep and how it affects the brain and the body and, and to make sure we're, you know, we're really looking at the hormones that, that go along with that and, um, kickstarting those naturally. Um, so that we're, when we do go to use a behavioral method, we're, we're laying them down with the hormones present in their system, in their system to do what we're asking them to do, which makes a world of difference. And it just took the stress level of all of that down and it made it much easier, um, but then, you know, over the years, uh, you know, I was helping other families, you know, all of that, uh, with sleep training their kids, just, you know, you know, my mom, passing friends, just, along yeah, just passing it on, yeah. you know how it is. And, and, um, and then later on when I became a single mom and, and was raising my four kids by myself, um, you know, I was working as a nanny and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, other things just to, you know, keep things going and, right. and managing, money, yeah. yeah, keep it all going, um, and, uh, you know, I found that, you know, people were asking me to help with their kids and sleep training then. And then someone said, you know what, Jenny, this is something you really could and should do for a living. And I just found this certification process. You should look into this. So the opportunity came to credential myself, and I did. And uh, it was with a more holistic um, institute-based uh, institute. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another opportunity came to credential myself with a more um, science-based you know, was um, that the approach. Mayo Clinic? No. Uh, so the first one was the International Maternity and Parenting Institute, oh, okay. and the other one okay. was the Family Sleep Institute. Okay. And then from there, I just found you know opportunities to crash different you know um, medical um, sleep conferences and, and pediatric sleep hygiene and, mm-hmm. and different pediatric sleep uh, disorders and such. You know, even things that were outside of my scope of practice. But um, you know, like the Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto allowed me to kind of crash. Uh, there like observe and stuff. That's yeah, so, so I got a lot. I racked up a lot of certified additional mm-hmm. credit um, hours and took a lot of extra courses over the course of the last, you know, six, five, six years, and um, and just you know found that I was really truly a sleep geek, and I really <laughs> and then of course thousands of cases since 2011 under uh-huh. my belt. You know, you just learn a lot sometimes by by getting in the trenches and doing it, and yeah. uh, and learning that no two cases are the same. 
Every kid and family is unique and different, um, but there are some similarities when it just comes to the science, and that's really what helps. I think it makes the difference, um, you know, with the success level I've had, um, and, I, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, so basically, everybody, she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> Is what I'm getting at. I wanted you to say all of that because I want people to know this is not like just a random person that I asked that said, oh, I know about sleep. You know what you're talking about. And I say this not just because um, I follow you and I know I've read the I read your posts and all of that stuff. But also when I first met you last year, I was going through some major sleep issues and I interviewed you. You were nice enough to let me interview you for my podcast and the advice you gave me completely changed our lives. Like, I know that sounds cheesy, um, (laughs) but it's true. So we were struggling. Also, I want to point out that my cat right now is really starved for attention. (laughs) She has knocked over a picture frame and she's doing something in the kitchen right now. What? Is she she's doing? into something. She's right? literally like, I'll show you she's who's taking the full advantage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a ham. Um, so anyway, if you hear me yell at my cat, I'll try to cut it out later. <laughs> but um, we were going through some issues with Channing. She was about three years, three, almost three and a half. Mm-hmm. And we were dropping the nap. Right. And I looked everywhere online for some kind of advice, some kind of guidance, because it was miserable. And we couldn't figure out why, because we would put her to bed about 830 at night every night like we had since she was a baby but we also did like a late afternoon nap you know she's in that she hadn't done a morning nap for some time she um was still doing an afternoon nap but it was gradually getting later and later in the day like it was at one and then it was at two and then it was at four and I was like what is the point of me putting her down at four because she sleeps for two hours she gets up at six and we put her back down two hours later and then why is she butthole Gracie stop (laughs) She just reached up and was like, I'm going to play with you now. Um, But, um, and I couldn't figure it out what was wrong. And I knew Mm -hmm. we should be ending her nap because she fought me on the nap. She did not want to lay down. Right. And she was at that age where it's common to drop that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I knew she was tired though. I could see it in her face. I could see it in her tantrums. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, everybody talks about the terrible twos. For me, it was the, it was the threes. The threes were pretty rough because she would have these like just massive outbursts from about, from about two and a half to about three and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was very tough. And when you, your advice, you talked about the hormones and the melatonin levels and when they, uh, you know, dip and naturally and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, we have to do this. We tried it for a week where we put her to bed at six 30. It was magic. Yep. It was magic. We were like. Oh my God. First of all, she went to bed. Mm-hmm. Second of all, we got our evenings back, which was <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. And she started having fewer and fewer and fewer tantrums and outbursts during the day. Right. And we still, to this day, put her to bed between six 30 and seven. Yeah. yeah. And it's made a world of difference. Very so good. talk a little bit about that evening time. And then I'll get mm-hmm. to some questions from, um, listeners, but yeah. that evening time or, or what's happening with their bodies when they, fight against that nap right well you know or sleep time or bedtime yeah you know around three and a half is the most common age um, when kids are really truly ready to drop that final nap and the mistake that um, you know many of us make as parents is that we we keep that later bedtime in place and we don't realize that their body needs to go through a transitional period where they get used to that prolonged wakefulness from morning until bedtime without that nap to kind of take the edge off and keep them somewhat well rested until that bedtime comes you know, uh, comes up. Um, and so, uh, you know, the key is, is that when that initially takes place, when you drop that nap, 
you do have to dial that bedtime back earlier um, to catch that final sleep wave of the night. And, you know, oftentimes parents don't recognize the true sleep cues that are presenting in their kids. Um, they aren't what we think they are, you know. Um, Not like when they were an infant, when they would rub their eyes and like that sort of a thing. Is right, that what you yeah. mean? Yeah, those are over, those are physiological signs, you know, rubbing the eyes, more talkative, irritable, cranky, you know, arching their back, squawking a bit, you know, all mm. of that kind of thing. Those are overtired cues. Those are physiological signs when melatonin has already left the building oh, and no. it's not coming it's back. too late. And there's some stuff <laughs> out there, you know, kind of floating around. You were looking at, you know, the possibility of potential additional surge of cortisol, those wakefulness hormones, and even mm-hmm. adrenaline if they're overtired in addition to that, that uh, at around 8 o'clock at night that happen um, if kids miss that final sleep wave. So what I have parents look for are what I call relaxed state cues. This is actually the physiological signs. You can see them and you can feel them, not only in your child, but in yourself as well. And right. I have parents experiment this with this on their own. But it's when, um, you know, your motions become slower and you're less vocal, so really still and really quiet, you'll notice that your child is disinterested in their surroundings, their eyelids may get a little bit heavy, or you'll just see them stare off into space, just Mm -hmm. totally space out, and you know, maybe even a tiny little yawn come out of them, but this window is very brief and subtle. It's about 10 to 15 minutes, and then it's gone. And then all of a sudden, you'll see your child catch their second wind and then be wide awake, bouncing off the walls. And they're jumping on the, the bed. Yeah. You know, they're splashing in the bath, whatever yeah. the and case And it takes you an hour and a half to get through a bedtime routine, and you're and still every doing night all the is work a fight. for them. Yeah. Yeah, every night's a fight. Because they just don't have the hormones present to do what we're asking them to do. Yeah. And that's not fair to them, especially if you're you know going to embark upon some sleep training using a properly matched behavioral method. So, you know, that's why, you know, the, when I work with a family, it's always about that sleep science first. Mm-hmm. My trademarked four pillars of sleep hygiene really set a child and a family up for success. It eliminates the battle or it reduces it quite a bit and just makes the transition for different um, habits to take place a lot easier. It's just hormones. The biggest issue, whenever I people ask me about that and um, I direct them to your advice and I say, here's what we tried, try it. The biggest thing that they say to me, and I'm talking, we haven't talked about infant sleep, but I'm talking specifically about dropping the nap for three to four year olds is they say, I can't put my kid to bed at six 30. I don't get home from work till six. Right. Yeah. So I'm always like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Just get home and throw them in the bed. Like, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Right. Like, cause we have dinner at like five 15, five 30. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why they have the early bird special for old people and kids. <laughs> yes. Cause old people and kids <laughs> need to go to bed early. Like they just do. <laughs> Um, it's that it's, I always tell people too, I'm like, it's kind of like in my mind, the farmer's schedule. Yeah. We go to sleep with the sun. We wake up with the sun. It's very yes. natural. Like you said, circadian rhythm mm-hmm. in our bodies. And I think that kids need that. Um, so I just tell people we do whatever we can, even if we're getting home at like six or six fifteen. it's quick bed, quick, you know, bath. She mm-hmm. doesn't eat that much for dinner anyway. So it's not like I right. need to feed her a big meal. Yeah. But what's so important is getting her to bed so she gets that sleep. Because when she doesn't, she is difficult to yeah, deal with. And, yeah. and I can't blame her because mm-hmm. she's just got so many things happening in her mind. She's playing all day. She's doing arts and crafts. She's experiencing new things. Yeah. And she's tired. And she's growing at such a and tremendous and developing yeah. at a tremendous rate. Mm-hmm. And under the age of three, it's, you know, she's so, rat, you know, uh, 
huge, everything that's going on. And, and if they're, we're not meeting their needs for sleep, then, you know, even if you do keep them at past the bedtime that they really should be having mm-hmm. to meet those needs for well sleep, you're not really getting quality time with your child because, right. you know, they're out. They're of, not really there. Yeah. They're just ti- too tired. You're just managing behavior rather than right. really engaging with them and having that, that attunement that really needs to take place. And, and, you know, it is a common problem for a lot of families that they, uh, you know, are trying to manage how, when, what time they get home and, you know, if yeah. bedtime needs to be specifically And early. they feel like they don't see, get to spend time yeah. with their kid, you know, and right. that sort of thing. And I get that. I have a lot of creative solutions for that that really surprise families. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, we're so stuck into seeing, you know, our schedules or our situations, our, our habits and our routines. We're so, we're so stuck in that box that we can't see outside of it. Yeah. And so it does, you know, take a qualified professional to help them, yeah. you know, manage to really look at everything the whole day with well sleep in place with new opportunities. And I have never yet, uh, had a case where I wasn't able to provide that quality time with the child every single day in spite of that early bedtime, no matter what parent time parents got home from work. Right. And they're always very surprised, especially my high profile clients, you know, like the the uh, yeah. the musicians, especially who have those crazy hours, crazy they want to keep their kids up really late with them and mm-hmm. want, you know, I've been offered <laughs> crazy amounts of money to change their circadian, <laughs> their wake up time in the morning to like, you know, noon instead of oh, like, you know. that's so LA and uh, that's so gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so LA. Right? Like, hey, I'm a rock star. Can you make sure my kid is up so we can you know, go to my show? Like, <laughs> If oh. I paid you $15,000, can you change that wake up time in the morning? No. <laughs> and, you know, I've had friends before who are, say they're night people so they keep their kids up late yeah. at night with them they're like oh well he's just a night person too and i'm yeah. like he's one yeah you no know? right. he's like a night person yet but i'm like i'm trying not to judge that's judgy nobody send me nasty tweets <laughs> but i'm just like i i think that sometimes we as parents get in our own way mm-hmm. and hinder our own desires because we think well, I saw it this way on the internet or I saw my friend said she did it this way. And yes, you know, we often get caught yeah. up in, um, you know, the 500 different messages and, you know, pieces of advice out there on a topic. Yeah. In addition to, um, you know, we're sleep deprived too, for the most part, you sure. know, it's, it's, it's an epidemic with adults these days. I we totally don't, am. and sleep deprived parents often cannot recognize sleep deprivation in their own children. I see it every single day. Yeah. And you know, that's, you know, when I'm getting the, after I'm done getting the children well rested or the process that, that I put the families through to, to make that happen with the four pillars of sleep hygiene, they recognize that it's helping them sleep just naturally by proxy, you know, that it's effective for their sleep as well. And then everybody's quality of life just dramatically and radically improves. And they're all of a sudden able to really manage their day with a lot more productivity and focus and creativity Uh, and enjoyment. (laughs) Right. I want that. Yeah. We have a major sleep issue in our house. Channing is a great sleeper. She's really always been a champion sleeper from day one. And moms used to hate me. (laughs) I was the one they hated. And I didn't realize that you should not tell other moms (laughs) that that you have a a great, she slept every three hours like clockwork from the day she was born. And we were worried. We thought, should we wake her up? Should we be feeding her more? And the doctor, our doctor was like, if she's sleeping, let her sleep. If it goes beyond like the normal routine that she's kind of developing, like if right. she starts sleeping for six hours and right. she's only a week old, maybe yeah, wake her yeah, up. Yeah. Um, but no, it was like clockwork. I could almost predict when she was going to wake up, she would eat, she'd be awake for a little bit, 
back down for another three hours. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, it wasn't amazing. It was hard. Let me rephrase that. It's there still was hard, definitely no hard. In, when you're yeah. still getting up every three hours in the middle of the night, it's still hard. Truth. Um, but there are other moms who struggle immensely with sleep issues and stuff um, mm-hmm. in the beginning. And there's so much we could dive into from sleep training to cry it out to oh yeah, um, all of those things that I know we'd be here all afternoon. <laughs> and you'd be like, oh my God, please let me leave. Um, I did not realize this was going to be so intensive. Okay. I want to get to my first question. Sure. This is from Mary. Mary wants to know, um, wait, hold on. Let me make sure I get the right one. Mary wants to know, I have a six-year-old that refuses to fall asleep without me in his bed. How do I help him feel confident? They've tried the sleep fairy that's uh, rewards-based mm-hmm. and um, rewards-based on if he falls asleep alone. Um, she puts cool images on the ceiling. She leaves the lights on. Mm. Uh, nothing is working. Mm. Well, Mary, that's a great question. And I'm glad you included some of that additional information about, you know, some of the, the things that you're, you know, trying to, uh, to use to improve the situation. And right out of the gate, I can tell you probably one of the biggest, most important things that you could do is set that sleep environment up properly um, to help elevate those important hormone levels um, so that the brain and the body want to do the sleeping. And the only thing left to fight it after that would be your child's will and the you know temporary process and temporary struggle of unlearning old habits and learning new habits, which he's absolutely capable of doing if we set him up for success first. So what I recommend in this situation, uh, at least just with the, you know, the first pillar of sleep hygiene, which is the sleep environment, we have to go back and recreate what nature gave us to sleep in in the first place, which is a cool, dark, quiet environment, you know, and, you know, out here, it's a little bit difficult to condition those stimulating sounds that might be coming from outside of his bedroom window or bedroom door, but a proper white noise that, that, uh, with a pink noise setting is really ideal in helping to do that. You want to get the temperature down noise, uh, pink as opposed to the white, it's a low frequency, um, ambient sound. And it really does help the brain to just kind of tune out everything else, um, and helps with sleep. Um, you know, if there's a lot of activity in the house or parents are, you know, parents are awake after their kids need to go to bed if it's right. a six thirty bedtime and, you know, and a lot of times and, and Mary for your case, uh, if he's not napping and he's, you know, he's, he's just chronically has these sleep issues where maybe he needs you to fall asleep with him at night and his bedtime is later, dial that back earlier, always error on the side of earlier than later so that you don't miss that final sleep wave, get that temperature in the room down to somewhere between 68 and 71 degrees Fahrenheit so that he can regulate his core body temperatures, which elevates melatonin, that powerful sleep hormone and Make sure that you are really getting rid of all of those lights. That's probably one of the biggest things. It's like nights. What about yes. nightlights? So like Channy has a nightlight. She's always mm-hmm. had it. And sometimes she'll go to bed with like her toys and they're like strobing in her face. Yeah. And I'm like trying to pull them away from her. And it's, you know. It's, you know, it's, you, you'll have maybe a temporary battle where they yeah. tell you that they think your new sleep rules suck, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but get used to it because right. it still happens in their teen years. Right. Trust me. But, uh, you know, the... Uh, the light, what happens is in between each of our sleep cycles, we're all awake for about one to five minutes. We just don't know that we are. It's a very light, active and behavioral stage of sleep. This is when, uh, you know, we're rolling around, tossing around in our bed, you know, hogging all the covers, maybe sitting up and fluffing our pillow. We have no idea that we're doing it. We're often crying or talking or mumbling in our sleep or whatever. And kiddos, you know, they will even stand up in their crib and walk around. Their eyes are wide open. Mm -hmm. You know, the process of that seems like forever. If you're a parent that's woken up, up in the middle of the night by that watching that go down they 
we have no idea we're doing it. Your kids have no idea they're doing that. They're still technically asleep. But their eye gates during that time frame are open. And if that open eye gate should happen to catch the slightest streak of light coming from the closed window blinds yeah. or the indicator light on a baby monitor or a night light on in the room or that crazy dreaded disco turtle everybody's putting you know they're like um, flashing on the ceiling it's enough to arouse them all the way awake rather than you know keeping it nice and dark and it ends up being a stimulant yes instead of something the minute the eye gate open eye gate catches that in that light behavioral active stage of sleep it will awake them all the way up and that fragments their sleep and it makes it more difficult cult for them to uh, connect to the next sleep cycle, you know, with a seamless transition. And so then within 48 hours of that going down, your child emerges officially sleep deprived, just as much so because of that fragmented sleep, just as much as if they had prolonged wakefulness or total sleep deprivation. So the keys are for, for any age, uh, maybe up to what, like eight or nine, like to have, um, total blackout like dark as dark as possible as cool you know a cool all the way to 99 mama we're not i'm not not playing here (laughs) all the way up to 99 all the way to like in the coffin um cool dark and quiet and quiet Mm -hmm. now i sleep with a fan on i'm talking like adult stuff here i sleep with a fan on excellent always have that's a perfect example of good pink noise okay good yes because i cannot sleep with it if it's too quiet i will hear every creak every you know my husband snores oh Oh, lord Lord. (laughs) like um god bless him uh he's my baby daddy but he (laughs) snores so bad and it wakes me up i'm a very light sleeper the lightest little noise will wake me up so for Mm -hmm. me i have to have a little bit of that white noise that fan or whatever kind of noise fan um going or i'm like this yeah absolutely channing can sleep like a rock she's like her dad Mm-hmm. when she's out she's out nice um which is why i try to wrestle the strobe thing out of her hand <laughs> like what are you doing right um okay so my next question then this is from christina she says my 10 month old daughter struggles to sleep at daycare she logs an average of two 30 minute naps at daycare but naps at home just fine lately i've had to wake her up from her naps at home because i don't want her oversleeping. is there anything we could do to get her to sleep at school they turn the lights out and play lullabies but while that works at home. She's not responding to it at school. Yeah. You know, sometimes if a child is already, many times parents don't realize their kid is waking up already overtired Mm -hmm. from the night. Um, and that can, that happens when kids are missing that sleep wave, that final sleep wave at the night. And they're going to bed without enough of those important sleep hormones present at sleep onset. So then they're not able to get all four stages of their sleep cycles throughout the night. They're only getting that light, active, easily aroused, behavioral, you know, type of sleep. And uh, when we have, when when we're missing that slow wave component of each of our sleep cycles, stage three, four, um, then no matter how many hours we get at night, we're waking up already overtired and sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. And that just creates an insomniac like... um, cycle that you get caught up in because when you're overtired and you're sleep deprived, it makes it harder to sleep. So that's where we see naps falling apart a little bit or micro napping, which, you know, even if they're getting 30 minutes, it's not a complete sleep cycle. Um, They're not getting the restorative benefits from a nap. So they're even waking from those overtired. And then they're so, again, caught it. The cycle continues. They're overtired by by bedtime because the naps weren't restorative and then they're, you know, they're going into another night of, of unrestorative sleep and, and waking up sleep deprived. Literally like an endless cycle then. How do you break that cycle? Do you have to basically just do a reset 
on the sleep and like do a rigid hard in like sleep time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause I don't know if kids are waking up in the middle of the night and not getting to that final stage of sleep. Like mm-hmm. how would a parent know that that's happening? Well, I mean, if sleep is fragmented at night, if, uh, the, their wake times are prior to 6am or, or they're wanting to sleep past seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and if their daytime behavior is kind of, you know, sketchy there, you know, there's some issues there with, you know, just irritable, cranky and cooperative so those are clues. They can be on the lookout for Oh, yeah. Those are all things that there is absolutely sleep deprivation going on. And basically, you know, if you look at a three-year-old who's been rightfully diagnosed with ADHD and you look at a three-year-old who just has poor sleep hygiene, line by line, all the way down the list of systems, they're not just similar. They're exactly the same. Oh, how interesting. Exactly. All the way down from top to bottom on that list of symptoms. And so, you know, it makes you wonder how many kids are being misdiagnosed, labeled and drugged for the rest of their lives. When they're really just tired. Yeah. And so, you know, my four pillars of sleep hygiene address every component of putting things back together with sleep wellness. So the first pillar is the sleep environment. The second is really knowing those true sleep cues when they're coming, really being able to recognize them and being already uh, prepared in advance uh, with your pre-sleep routine, which is the third pillar of sleep hygiene. And that pre-sleep routine has got to be a specific routine that actually does uh, it's conducive to kickstarting the natural melatonin production, signaling to the brain and body that sleep is about to to come, creating a routine that is actually going to lay a foundation of emotional well-being so that when you are making changes to the sleep environment or your parenting responses, it, you know, keeps those stress levels low and helps them to sleep. Mm -hmm. And the fourth pillar is the timing of sleep, which is actually probably the juiciest pillar, you know, it's the, it's the most important window of opportunity. Yes. Once we found our window with Channing, it was like, Oh, now I see she's sort of growing out of it. And we've kind of pushing her bedtime back just a little bit later, just by like half an hour. Mm -hmm. Cause we were doing the six 30 thing for about a year. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's almost four and a half and she doesn't fight bedtime, but we noticed that even when we put her down at like six 30 now, Mm -hmm. she still stays awake in her room for like an hour. Oh yeah. Okay. So yes, she's ready then to push that bedtime mm-hmm. later because you've done the yeah. hard work of getting her well rested. Yes. And uh, now her body's able to manage and adjust that prolonged wakefulness and she's four and a half. So yeah, absolutely move that up to we you know, seven, seven thirty. Yeah. I was going to say we, we moved it to about seven now and she, she still will stay in there and play, mm-hmm. stay awake and play for a little bit, but eventually like around eight, she drifts off and yeah, quiets down perfect. and drifts off. So we're like, okay, we feel pretty confident that we can leave it around seven now. Yeah. Um, you never want to experiment with your kid, but also <laughs> you sometimes you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Sometimes we just have to try what works yeah. and like hope for the best. Um, yeah, exactly. okay. So, uh, Sonia says you're amazing. Um, she says, uh, let's see. My five month old still wakes up two to three times a night to eat, not just nibbles. Mm -hmm. She eats a good four ounces each time. Can I expect this to change once more food gets introduced? Why can't she sleep through the night? Mm -hmm. Um, She's on breast milk and I give easy pureed veggies once a day. She's still a co-sleeper in our bedroom. Mm -hmm. She does go to sleep uh, around seven and wakes up around six or seven. Okay. Uh, Sonia, right? Is the Sonia. Okay. And then she also wants to know why her naps are so short. There's a lot of questions in <laughs> we here. Need we need a can full address- consultation, yes. Sonia. <laughs> yeah. We'll just, so we can just start with the beginning part. Um, sure. Let's talk about, you know, the middle the of the night feedings. Yeah. That's always a big concern, especially around this five month period as mm-hmm. babies are transitioning into that second stage of infancy where, you know, their fight, their physical vitals have been stabilized. Um, you know, from that fourth trimester and the first four months are absolutely when we need to feed around the clock and 
really be more mindful of, uh, you know, responding on demand, building that secure attachment, making sure all those physical vitals are stabilized, weight gain is, is happening, and positive breastfeeding behaviors and breastfeed in breast milk supply are, um, you know, are locked down. And that typically starts to come together and, and uh you know, around four months. At the same time, and by the way, I am a certified lactation counselor with Healthy Child and the Center for Breastfeeding. Um, so this is a big part. Because sometimes they go they go hand in they hand. They go hand when in hand, little, right? Yeah, you know, the we, it's, babies aren't born with a circadian rhythm, so they aren't able to, you know, be sleep trained in a safe way at all. And they never should. Nobody should ever attempt to sleep train a, a newborn all the way to the fourth month um, because they biologically can't do what we're asking them to do. Yeah. They don't have the ability to get to the slow wave components of their sleep cycles until four months. Um, And, uh, you know, some research is showing just a few weeks earlier, but I like to err on the side of caution and give it a couple extra weeks. I don't like to work with families until the 18th week properly dated. Um, And that just gives that extra opportunity for full circadian rhythm development for night sleep. Mm. Once that comes into play and all of those things simultaneously, you know, are changing and your baby is changing into that second stage of infancy, we often call that the four-month sleep regression. It's actually a progression. Yeah. But for us, it feels like a regression because we just figured out what to do after four months. Oh, I remember (laughs) all the regressions and it was like, oh no, here comes a another one. Right. So what happens is parents typically, uh, once babies are able to um, get slow wave sleep, which happens at about four months, they are actually able to now consolidate sleep at night and consolidate calories naturally during the day. However, it is a bit of a transition that we have to start evolving our parenting responses to meet and match these evolving developing needs for sleep. And that is hard when you have uh, oh, you know, done something else all this time and it's been working up until now. And then, you know, it's just kind of scary to make that transition. And most pediatricians, they, you know, pediatricians don't receive pediatric sleep hygiene education in medical school or residency. At at most, according to a global study uh, in 2013, it's about two and a half hours total. Yeah. And so they don't know what to tell parents. They're often saying, well, maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're teething. All those things are actually not the case. Yeah. And that's, that's evidence-based science, basically, you know, so we have all these myths and we're, we're terrified to make this transition. We don't know how to do it. We don't know what to do. And we're, we don't know how to protect our breast milk supply, you know, uh, with all of these transitions. And so that's why, you know, you really need to look at your, your unique baby situation. Oftentimes at five months, um, they, you know, they're getting up, you know, and they're crying out for you to come in and do the work for them to get them back to sleep. And the only way that they've ever known that that takes place is we stick a boob in their mouth or a (laughs) bottle in their mouth. Right. Right, So this is their sleep association. They're tired. They're woken up in the middle of the night. Their sleep is fragmented and they're calling out to have somebody help them get back to sleep fast. Just like you're trying to do for yourself, which is why we end up bringing our kids in the bed with us. Yes. You know, have the all night open bar going on, (laughs) you know, how we'll stand on, you you know, the top right. of the refrigerator upside down breastfeeding. We thought we'd get back to sleep right, faster, exactly. right? We just, you know, we're sleep deprived. And that's just a natural biological drive for survival is to get back to sleep as fast as possible. It's the same thing for our kids. And so if, you know, if we get, if we don't start evolving, you know, to meet and match their evolving, developing needs for sleep, and you can do that, by the way, at five months while still protecting positive breastfeeding behaviors and your milk supply. We do it every day. Um, you know, there's just a, you know, it's, it, it can then become a situation where, um, it's difficult to jump out of that cycle and change the habit loop of how we get from one sleep cycle to the next, how our babies, I should say, 
get from one sleep cycle to the next throughout the night. And even though they're they're chomping down and they're they're sucking down four ounces, mm-hmm. oftentimes parents are thinking, well, that means they're hungry. They need this milk. Right. Well, really what's happening is when they're really tired and miserable and they just want to get back to sleep fast and that boob in their mouth is the only thing that they've ever associated with they're how they do that. Yeah, comfort. The, yeah, the, heck yeah, they're going to suck hard and fast on that, mm-hmm. on that puppy because they think it's going to get them back to sleep faster. <laughs> right, right, right. Just like why we bring them in the bed and do whatever we got to do to get back to sleep ourselves faster. Yeah. So, you know, parents need to look at this with a different paradigm and really look at the science of sleep and the natural biological drive for survival, which is so much stronger than the need to eat, is to get back to sleep and consolidate our sleep so we can get that slow wave sleep within each of our sleep cycles. What I love about what you say and what you bring to the table is the science-based aspect of it. I have a very practical side to my brain as well as the artsy fartsy actor <laughs> side. You know, I'm, I'm can be creative and fun, but I'm also very analytical and, and I love that there is a science behind this. So when you brought that element to the explanation to me, I was like, Oh, this makes so much sense to me now. Like I get it. Um, and I think so often as parents, we get caught up because we're tired yeah. and we're exhausted and we just want to keep this thing alive you know yeah, we're we, just surviving for the night man <laughs> and that we get caught up in a lot of the emotional side of it like yes. when my baby's crying obviously they just want to cuddle with me so they bring them in the bed oh, yeah or my baby's crying like she really just wants this flashy light in her face all night you know I'm just gonna <laughs> let her have it because I don't want her to be upset uh no um I I can see how we as parents get caught up in that emotion and it's hard to disconnect because you never want to see your baby uncomfortable. That's you never right. want to see them in pain. Right, exactly. But I think that we have to, ugh, people are going to hate me for this, but like man up a little bit, like <laughs> ball up a little bit. Maybe that's not the right mom up a little bit right, um, right. and say, it's okay if I, if I, don't allow this to happen now because long-term it will serve them better. Right. And it's just about learning to discern the difference between tears of temporary struggle while learning a new skill or adapting to a new routine or parenting response versus tears of suffering. We yes. always respond to tears of suffering. And you know, and again, I go back to the four pillars of sleep hygiene. That's why that is so important as your foundation whenever you're going to um, sleep train or even just want to create you know, a, more, a healthier sleep situation for your child. It helps... To, it helps you to discern the difference between the two. It sets your child up yeah. for success. You know, ki- babies, pa- parents are shocked, you know, when they work with me that, you know, their baby that was waking up all night long to feed every hour and a half or whatever at, you know, six, ten months old, whatever, five months old. Um, if you get that sleep hygiene in place and they're falling asleep with that abundant amount of those important hormones at sleep onset the sleep is no longer fragmented. They're not waking up for a feeding. They don't feel teething pain. They don't feel hunger because they're getting all four components of their sleep cycles in. And that's really the key. So it just kind of makes the whole thing so much easier. And parents are like, wow, my kid didn't even wake up for 12 and a half hours. Oh my God. <laughs> I should, I mean, should I be worried? And now they're worried because their kid isn't waking up or crying, you know? And I'm, yeah. I'm like, honey, it's a quality problem to have. <laughs> you know, it's what, right. you, it's what you paid me for. And, and, and they're like, well, we just didn't, we didn't expect it to yeah. happen so quick and to happen so easily. It's because I think there's a few like little minor changes and adjustments that you can make, but we have to not get in our own way and be afraid to do it. Yes. Because you're not, you're not going to harm your baby by using methods that involve science and, you know, tried and true 
techniques and things like that. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, every case is different. Every baby is different. And right. every mom thinks that their baby is, oh, yes. you know, a, a particular circumstance. And, you know, like, my baby would never do this or my baby. Right. But they're more alike than we think. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you're the one that's done all the research, but just based on what I've read and what I've encountered with my mom friends, we're, we're all a lot more alike than we think when it comes to our issues with our kids. And, you know, my hope with all of this is that some moms will find some comfort in knowing that if they try an earlier bedtime or if they try to, you know, remove the, um, nighttime light or like one or two little things that they could just try and might make a huge difference in their baby's sleep, Mm -hmm. thus helping their brains grow stronger and they do better in school and they start doing less, having less tantrums. And like that then is a little easier on mom. And like, you know, like it's all this, like one, the, ideally this is the circle that's happening in my mind. And that's what I'm hoping that that people are listening will, will walk away with from this. So, um, I'm so grateful for you for taking the time to come by and share your knowledge. Like it's just, like I said, changed our world and still, we're still feeling the effects of it a year later. So, Oh, I'm so glad to know what you're talking about. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, you guys, um, tell everybody or tell everybody really quickly, uh, Mm -hmm. where they can find you. If you guys, um, want more information about Jenny, make sure you're following her on the, her social media channels. Cause you do a lot of Facebook lives yes. where you answer questions from people and, yep. and give great information. So tell us about that. Well, you can go to my Facebook page, Jenny June, uh, baby sleep and care. Uh, and Jenny is spelled with an I and then June is in the month. So Jenny June, um, I'm live every Thursday from 1 PM, uh, Pacific time to 4 PM or and 4 PM, uh, Eastern standard time. Uh, and every month I have, a, or every week I have a different sleep topic and I answer questions for like the remainder of the week, par- you know, parents who, who, uh, type into the comments. Um, also, you know, if you want to work privately with me, I do provide in-home consultations, overnight, you know, stays, all of that, as well as, um, phone and Skype session packages. And, uh, you can, you know, look at all of that on my website, jennyjune.com. Or if you just want a, you know, 10 minute brief, uh, initial, you know, chat that's at no cost. You can call me on my 1-800 number, 1-800-322-4116. And I'll be happy to chat with you. Um, I'm really uh, hoping that everybody got some good takeaway today and that you guys are finding your so. way and at least yeah. having a little more confidence in the process of providing well sleep for yourself and for your little one. If anything, they're going to hate me because I said my baby's a good sleeper <laughs> and we all need to man up. So literally <laughs> the worst things that any mom could want to hear. They're like, F you, Heather Brooker. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't hate me. Um, uh, you guys, I'm also going to put all this information that Jenny just mentioned up on motherhoodinhollywood.com so you guys can find her links and information there as well. Jenny, thank you again. Oh, I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Have a wonderful week, everybody. And remember, I'm not a perfect mom, but I can play one on TV. <laughs> Bye. Mama funny. Balls.